Convicted and Convinced, a message from God's Word for you. And now, here's Dr. Lloyd Willis with today's lesson. Good morning, Sabbath School. We have a new topic for our lesson this week, the introduction to a new series entitled, How to Interpret Scripture. And the foundation for such a study is, of course, the fact that the Bible is God's unique inspired book. Maybe you've wondered about that sometime. Is it really? Have I been misled? And the way I have answered this when we've thought about it is, um, first of all, the internal harmony of Scripture, that the, the coordination of ideas and thought and, and the complementary aspects of Scripture from beginning to end is an evidence that it is a special book. We'll talk more about that. It's also a book that has prophetic fulfillment, and that is something that uh, can't be denied. So that makes it special, unique, inspired. And uh, the historical accuracy of Scripture is something that is uh, worth a lot of attention. We're going to have a whole lesson on that later in the quarter. And uh, archaeology, of course, backs that up, the historical accuracy of Scripture. Then, of course, there's also the uh, internal witness. What does the Bible do for those who take it seriously, who, who try out its message? That uh, is perhaps the strongest evidence that it is a divine book. One more that could be added is that the Bible has such a high standard of morality, of ethics, as seen in the life of Jesus. This shows that it is a good book. As Seventh-day Adventists, we are Protestants, and Protestants have always taken the view that the Bible is the standard of our, our faith, is the authority for our beliefs, and uh, that is especially true these days, that it is so important that we recognize this. In uh, Great Controversy, page 595, Ellen White wrote, God will have a people upon the earth to maintain the Bible, and the Bible only, as the standard of all doctrines and the basis of all reforms. That's where we're beginning as we study this unique book for today and as we go through a series of uh, interpreting the Scripture. It's easy enough to say that we believe the Bible is the only authority in, in religion and religious practice and doctrine, but it's obvious that not all Protestants do really make that the rule of, the, of their teaching. Uh, you have the concept of the uh, immortality of the soul, uh, Sunday worship, and uh, even a, a concept of a secret rapture that are things that are not taught in Scripture. I remember when I was a college student, uh, a young man a champion football player in Australia, uh, went to hear Billy Graham. Billy Graham came to various cities in Australia in that year, and uh, I think it was 1959 or 1960, 
and this young man responded to the message of Billy Graham. And afterwards, the many advisors, pastors from many churches, were there to give counsel to those who had committed their lives to the Lord. And this young man, Graham, said to them, I want to follow, I want to join a church that believes the Bible and follows the Bible only. And the dear pastor, bless his heart, I don't know what church he was from, but he said, then you should go and join the Seventh-day Adventist church. And he did. He became a minister for more than 40 years from that time on. So uh, in our lesson today, we're studying the, the importance of interpreting the scripture correctly. You not only have to say it's God's authority, but how do I interpret it correctly? And uh, if you think in terms of the different sections of scripture, it is not just one old book of theology. There's so many differences. Uh, in the introduction of the quarterly, it says how that uh, there are parables, there are prophecies, there's sacred history, there's admonitions, songs of praise, prophetic uh, visions, and dreams. And so uh, that is going to affect the way we interpret Scripture. Not all of these are similar in, the, in their lineup. So let's go now to today's lesson, where the focus is upon the uniqueness of the Bible. Is it unique? We've just indicated that uh, there are ways that we can use to show that that's the case, and some of those will appear in, in the lesson today. As you look at the Bible, the, the Bible contains 66 books, and they're written over a period of approximately 1,500 years, with more than 40 different authors. How is it possible that we get one book that is unified out of that? The amazing thing is that the Holy Spirit, active in the process, makes it so that we can say that is the case. And the Bible is also very well uh, verified in terms of the authority of its, of its text. We have, uh, for the New Testament, we have 24,600 manuscripts of the New Testament from the first four centuries of the Christian church. And uh, that is amazing, especially when compared to other ancient books where we have just a few, uh, some of them like uh, uh, Plato's original manuscripts, there are only seven, Herodotus eight, and so on. So uh, we are very well off for New Testament manuscripts. The Old Testament manuscripts, of course, have been uh, so strongly supported by the Dead Sea Scrolls, the discovery from 1947 and subsequent years when these manuscripts were discovered, uh, proven to be uh, authentic, coming from uh, mainly the 2nd and 1st centuries BC and uh, verifying that the Old Testament text has been so carefully preserved over so many centuries. So it's a special book, and uh, the first section of the lesson talks about it being the living Word of God. Uh, it's interesting the way Moses is used as the, uh, the spokesperson uh, for this concept because he was the first writer of Scripture, as far as we can, can indicate. It's uh, 
The first five books are books of Moses, and we think Job is also written by Moses. And uh, it's pointed out in the lesson that usually the last words that a person speaks are thought of as being particularly authoritative. And so we look at uh, the writings of Moses in Deuteronomy and this final book written just before his death uh, contains a, a poem, a beautiful song in Deuteronomy chapter 32. And then it ends with a very interesting statement from verse 44 to verse 47. I will just read verse 47. That sums it up. They are not just idle words for you, these things that he has written, that God gave him. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. They are words that are your life. That's what Moses regarded the scripture as and the way he recommended the scripture to the people. Uh, are they your life? Are they important as a basis for your thinking, your actions, your planning, your hopes for the future in every aspect? At the end of the earth's history, God will have a people who remain faithful to all scripture, which means keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, Revelation 12, 17. These people will remain faithful to the teaching of the Bible, for it is not only it not only assures a richer life on earth, and it does that, but it also uh, deals with eternal destiny in the home Jesus prepares for us. We'll go to John chapter 1, and these famous first few verses of John chapter 1, it tells us what the word is. John chapter 1. Now, when we say the word, the word has, has double meaning, and the two are very closely connected. The word can mean the written word, and it can mean the living word. In John chapter 1, I'm sorry, I should be reading John chapter, yes, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it, or has, has not appreciated it. So who is this word that it's talking about here? If we go down to verse 14, it makes it very clear. It says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the word the word that was with God in the beginning. So uh, the living word, Jesus is the living word, and the scriptures uh, produced through the guidance of the Holy Spirit are representing Jesus. It says in the quarterly that Jesus is the focus and the aim of all scripture. His coming in the flesh as the Messiah was a fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. And we'll look at that a little bit later too. So, the Bible is unique 
it's unique, first of all, in origin, the way the quarterly deals with it. Unique in origin. Who wrote it? We've already commented on it. That there were more than 40 different writers. And think of the, the difference between those writers, the different backgrounds from fishermen, uh, a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Uh, Amos was a shepherd and a farmer. Possibly Micah was a farmer too. And uh, we have Jeremiah, both a priest and a prophet. We have uh, Daniel, who was a prince and, and made a governor. We have a tax man. We have one who was a prisoner on Patmos. And a Pharisee, Paul. So with all of these different backgrounds, how fascinating it is that the Bible is certainly unique in origin. God has been pleased to communicate his truth to the world by human agencies, and he himself, by his Holy Spirit, qualified men and enabled them to do his work. He guided the mind of the selection of what to speak and what to write. The treasure was entrusted to earthen vessels, yet it is nonetheless from heaven, God's word. The second aspect of uh, uh, uniqueness is that it contains prophecy. And that certainly is impressive. A, an atheist neighbor of ours in Australia loved to, uh, to undermine scripture with everything he said. And uh, I remember just as a college student, I just said to him, but what about prophecy? And the poor man, he didn't know what to say. He was aware of the prophecies of the Bible. And he said, well, yes, um, well, yeah. And that was it. So the Bible contains prophecy. This is an evidence of its uniqueness. If you go to Daniel chapter 2, we've just been studying Daniel. That is an amazing prophecy that Daniel, living in the 6th century BC, a little bit in the 7th century too, uh, was able to predict under God's guidance that there would be three more empires after Babylon, and then chaos and disunity and rivalry on the earth prior to the second coming of Jesus. And if he had simply followed that, uh, that idea, well, there's been one before, and now there's Babylon, and next will be Medo-Persia and Greece and Rome, he would naturally have thought, and then there will be another, and then another, and then another. But he says, no, four, and then the, the chaos and breakup of Rome that led to the rivalry of the nations of Europe. Uh, in the quarterly, it points out some of the prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament, and they are certainly very impressive. In Genesis 49, it indicates that Judah will be where the Messiah is seen. The scepter will not depart from Judah, until Shiloh comes, etc. In uh, Psalm 22, it describes the, the bones of Jesus not being broken, and yet his side was pierced, would, to be, would be pierced. And then they divided his garments. Uh, we can go through all the risks. They've got a, quite a long list of them here. We don't have time. But I remember having a Bible study with a man who was a nominal churchgoer, and uh, we studied this topic the Messiah in the Old Testament, he was absolutely amazed. He said, how is it that they didn't recognize him? And I think I said something like, uh, I guess we recognize what we want to recognize. 
Jesus was not the Messiah they wanted because they wanted a, a military leader. So these, these beautiful prophecies of the Old Testament, even indicating the coming of John the Baptist, the fact that Jesus would come to, into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and uh, such things. So prophecy is a very important element and we have to treat it seriously as we're looking to see the uniqueness of Scripture. The next one is the perspective of history. The, the story of salvation is woven through history, and you can study it right through from Genesis 3.15, where the first promise is given, and on through the Old Testament. The interesting thing is that the history of the Bible is unilinear. That is, it is pointing forward, always pointing forward to the goals that God has in mind, the second coming of Jesus. That's not true of many other religions. Religions like Hinduism are cyclical in their thinking. There is a vast period, and then things get worse and worse, and there's chaos, and the world is destroyed, and then it's recreated. This is a millions-of-year cycle, but it's still cyclical. It's really going nowhere, whereas in the biblical teaching, we have uh, linear history from one event to the next in the planning of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 5, I'd like to read 1 Corinthians 15. This is such a beautiful chapter, the chapter that gives so much emphasis to the details and importance of the resurrection. And in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 3 to 5, it says, For what I received I passed on to you, as of the first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He did what was predicted, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scripture. So it's according to prophecies of Scripture, but it is historical. These are the stages of fulfillment of these scriptural uh, passages uh, working towards the plan of God. I remember reading a book once entitled uh, Christ and Time, and it saw the cross as the midpoint of history. So uh, here it's bringing out the fact that these events took place exactly as God had planned. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of his brothers and so on. So there are evidences, it's not only historical, but there are evidences as there were, there were eyewitnesses. In the NIV study Bible, it has a footnote that, that Paul here is talking about two lines of evidence for the death and resurrection. And uh, the first is the testimony of the Old Testament. This was going to happen. Secondly, the testimony of eyewitnesses, as, for example, in Acts 1, 21 and 22. So we have the... Uh, uh, historical nature of scripture. The last one that we go into very briefly is the fact that the Bible has power. It is a transforming book. It makes a difference. It changes lives. You remember the story of Josiah in the story in 2 Kings chapter 22. A boy king, just eight years of age when he became king and guided by prophets and priests, high priest, I'm sure, uh, he led out in a reformation. 
But the springboard for that reformation was the fact that they started to do a search, a cleanup of the temple, and they found the book of the law, at least the book of Deuteronomy, possibly the first five books of the Old Testament. And as he saw there the predictions of, of bad things that would happen if Israel turned away from God, he said, we've done all these things and led out in a wonderful reformation. It changed his life. And as the Reformation ensued, it changed the nation. Unfortunately, there were those who went back to the old ways, and so it, it did not continue. But uh, I want to conclude with Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Here we're talking about the transforming power of the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the Word of God is living and active. The King James says, quick and powerful. That's what the Word of God is. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Bible makes a difference. It pinpoints our problems and it points to a solution. The Word of God is the gospel message. And that includes not just the gospels, but the whole message of Scripture. So we have a wonderful, unique Word of God that we're going to be studying, and it's important that we interpret it correctly as we go through this course. This podcast is a service of the University Parkway Seventh-day Adventist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Our weekly podcasts are recorded every Saturday morning. Bible study begins at 9.30. The sermon begins at 11. You are invited to join us. We live stream the 11 o'clock service. You can catch that broadcast at our website, universitypkwy.org, or at Livestream. A library of previous messages is available on our YouTube channel and on our website. Thank you for listening.